Now this morning, what I want to do is, is I want to take some time and talk to you just kind of from my heart. Obviously, we'll get into the Word of God, but something that's just been on my heart about <clears throat> our God-given potential. You can see that by the title that's on the screen and in your notes. I want to just take some time and talk about our value, our God-given potential. You and I are extremely valuable. Did you know that? Okay. I know it's kind of like, really? You know? <laughs> but you and I are so valuable. If we could just say, um, I mean, if we were to declare that, I am valuable. It just sounds even weird hearing that. Let, let, actually, I am valuable. Say it with me. Ready? Go. I am valuable. Now, you say it because I asked you to, but think about how valuable you really are to Jesus Christ. I know that in our minds we're saying, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know the multiple thoughts that have been going through my head. I've murdered 10 people in my mind this week, you know, not actually just thinking, you know, those thoughts that run through your mind. And even in your worst day, you are extremely valuable to Jesus Christ. And he has put within you some God-given potential that I think we all know that we have potential, but I don't think we know how, how deep how wide and how valuable that potential is. Now, this is not what I'm going to talk to you about today. Uh, salvation, extremely important. Can we agree on that? Okay, that's the number one thing. But what I'm talking about is you and me as Christians, as we're walking with Christ, we know God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, but we still haven't discovered that potential like God wants us to discover. And, and we've, been, we've been wired in such a way that he's put that deep within our hearts and our souls. And so I want to take some time and just talk to you about this God-given potential. And all I'm asking you to do is just take it to the Lord. Holy Spirit, what do you say? What do you have to say? Is there any area that, that I need to be aware of that I'm not? Anywhere I need to grow? Uh, is there any part of me that <clears throat> needs to give? You know, what, what, what does that mean? And the Holy Spirit will show you that because there is great potential inside of you. Um, it took me back to Sunday school. Now, we, I learned this in Sunday school. You may not know the song, but we'll see here in just a minute. But it's, um, it, it was a song in Sunday school that we used to sing, I am a promise. Remember this one? I am a possibility. I am a promise. Anyone know it? In Sunday school, we get down with the capital P. And it goes on to say, I am a great big bundle of, you know what it is? potentiality. And so it was one of those songs that when I was preparing this message, now you guys are going to go home and Google it, aren't you? Like, what is this song he's talking about? And it got in, it's like an earworm, you know, it got in my head and I couldn't get rid of it all day. It's a great song, but when you're hearing it all day long, it just drives you nuts, right? But I got thinking about that. We are a promise uh, and we have so much potential within our lives, but yet so many times uh, I've seen people that have gone through their life and yet did not discover the potential that God had for their lives. Um, sometimes, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to be morbid or anything, but sometimes I can think through, I'll do a funeral and we'll go, we'll, we'll take that final walk to the, to the, in through the graveyard and I'll pass by these headstones and I'll be like, it just, it just goes like this, but in my head I'm like, you know, uh, I wonder if they ever discovered the potential in their life. I wonder, you know, was there any books that were to be written that never were? Was there any dreams that were ever dreamt that never came true? You know, did they, did they discover their potential while here on earth? Because you and I, we're going to discover here that though we are sons and daughters of God, we're not of this world. 
Uh, we, we, are, we are eternal beings, and, and at some point, this world will pass away, as you'll hear me say again in a moment. But you and I, we're going to live, <clears throat> excuse me, live for eternity. Now, where you live is going to be determined by the choices you make right now. And if you have any more questions about heaven and hell, go back about six months. We did a whole heaven and hell series on that. But you and I have so much potential. It doesn't matter how much you screwed up, anything, all the things you've done wrong, because that's the first thing that we usually think of. You and I have this great potential. So we're going to look at a couple scriptures in Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to look at this scripture that many times when it's read, we kind of, we as pastors tend to go one way, but I'm, I'm going to try to lean into it a little bit different. And then we're going to jump over, and I'm just going to make reference to the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Uh, and we all know the prodigal son, <clears throat> pretty much, in the nutshell is, is we had a father who, who gave his inheritance to his son, and he squandered it. And so we're going to look at both of these stories in the scripture and find out what it is that we can learn. Because here's what happens. Many times we can have dreams, but when we become discouraged, we tend to just shut that dream down. It's better to not dream at all if it's never going to come true. But if we, if we stop dreaming, then nothing is ever going to develop. Nothing's ever going to blossom. Now let's jump over to Matthew chapter 16 and Here's what's happening. Uh, Jesus, this is the part where in verse 24, he talks about taking up your cross and following him. He says that Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake uh, will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his own soul? Two good questions right there. What is a man going to profit, or woman, profit if they forfeit their whole soul? He says, take up your cross and follow me. Now, a lot of times when we read this scripture, or at least the way I hear it when I'm listening to others talk about it, is we talk about how we need to surrender to Christ. And th that's true. We do need to surrender to Christ. Amen? Okay. But what, I'm, but it, what it's also showing us in this scripture is that it's not just about surrendering. It starts there, but it doesn't stop there. It's about surrendering to Christ, but also identifying the fact that you and I are extremely valuable to Jesus Christ, no matter who you are. And there's great value within us, but I will, I will propose this thought. I don't think we'll discover the depth or how great our value is until we surrender to Christ. Because it's in that surrendering process you discover how valuable you are. So, if you are here today, and your last week, month, year has just been anxiety-riddled, worried, stressed, there's just been this weight, and you don't know what to do, and you feel like, how can I ever see any potential of getting out from under that cloud? Jesus Christ is here to tell you today that no matter whether the sun is shining or the clouds are out, He still reigns, and He says that you are valuable to him. And we have to dig below all of that because this world's going to do its best to tell you what you don't do, right? It, I, I've, I've yet to turn on the TV in a long time, and I don't watch the news. You know, good, bad, I don't know. It's good to be aware of what's going on, but I don't like to get depressed so quickly. You know what I mean? Um, so I don't watch the news a lot, 
And, uh, but when I do turn on the news or flip through, it's always about somebody who's either robbed a bank or been in a car accident or tax evasion or, you know, it's all this negative stuff. Never have I turned on the TV and they said, hey, we randomly caught somebody being kind to a neighbor and we just wanted to tell everybody. They just don't normally do that on, on, on television. Um, in this world, it's, it's going to be extremely hard to just wait for all of that to come to you. You have, to, you have to go inside and start here and see what that God-given potential is. So this, this passage here, he's saying, yes, surrender. Take up your cross and follow me. But I'm telling you, Jesus would say, to do that because of the great value that I have on your life. Jesus is saying that every person has more value than the whole world. Think about that. Your life is more valuable than this whole world world. Well, how do you know that? Because in the Bible, it says heaven and earth will pass away, but you and I, we go on forever. We remain. He says, you are so much more valuable that when all this stuff crumbles and falls apart, he says, that's you that I came for. That's the great value he has. So Jesus, when he walked the earth, uh, he got 12 disciples, right? And with those 12 disciples, he made a pretty great effect on the world, don't you think? You know, now think about it. These disciples, they weren't the best and the brightest. They were knuckleheads, all right? They had their quirks. They had their moments. And guess what? We do too. And what I love about that is Jesus used everyday common people to say, if you will follow me, you will discover the value that's inside of you. Not because of you, but because of me and you. And so these disciples said, we'll follow. And when they did, all of a sudden, the world was changed, their community was changed, their homes were changed, but it started with them. And that just goes to show me this, no matter how messed up you think your life may be, no matter how difficult you may say things are, Jesus places a great value on your life and he says there is a God-given potential inside of you that you've yet to discover. If you're here today and you're, you're, you're saying, oh, I'm in my, my, my 40s and I'm still waiting on God or I'm still dreaming or I'd like to do new things and it hasn't happened. I'm 50, I'm 60, 70, 80, the list goes on. And you're saying it still hasn't happened. There is still a plan that God has for you. Well, how do you know that, Pastor? You're breathing. When he's done with you, he takes you home. And that's it. And that's not a sad or bad thing when you know Jesus. But it is incredibly devastating if you don't. <clears throat> he says, I've got so much value that I've placed upon your life that when you surrender to me, follow me, you'll find that value is in there. Now, <clears throat> I like to know what's coming down the pike. I want to know what I should do for the next five years. You know, should I make these plans? Should I do this? But, but I, God doesn't always tell me all the details. Does he you all the time? He doesn't always tell me all the details. And I want to know that, but yet... When I don't, I still have to place my faith and trust in God. My daughter, she used to say when she was a kid, we put her to bed at night, and she'd always say this phrase, what we doing up in the morning? That's, she wanted to know, what we doing up in the morning? What are we going to do? She, she's saying this, what's the plan? When I go to bed tonight, I want to know when I wake up what to expect so I can be either a willing participant or I can at least hide my frustration. You know, Tell, tell me, where are we going? And, and sometimes it feels like... like in my life at least, I can say this, that I go to God and I say, God, what are we doing up in the morning? What's the plan? And though I may not always get it right when I want it, he always comes through because God places such a value on our hearts and our lives. 
He can work through you no matter what you've done. I look at those 12 disciples, and they didn't always make the wisest choices. As a matter of fact, when you look throughout the Bible, you'll see that God particularly picked people that, that had issues. How many of you all know, you know, uh, you have issues, you have issues, all God's people have issues, all right? That's not the focus. The focus is, or should be, is that are we focusing on the potential and the value that God has placed in our hearts and in our lives? Because there's always going to be issues. Jesus used 12 people to change a, 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 a world, really. And I, I got thinking, if Jesus could take 12 and affect the community the way he did and, and what they did, just think of, let's take Clinton for a minute. Clinton's about 23 to 25,000 people population. If we were all serving Jesus, finding our value and our identity in Christ, think of what God could do. Think of the amazing things that he could cause to flourish. Well, guess where it starts? With you, with me as an individual. <clears throat> That's where it starts. And we've got to be able to say yes to him because he's not concerned about where you've been and what you've done. When you come to him and you surrender and say, forgive me, he says, brand new you. Look in the Bible, or it's not in the Bible, but I'm going to read it to you. These are some people that God used in the Bible, but they all had their flaws. Abraham, he lied. Sarah laughed at Gideon, or at God's promises. Moses stuttered. David's armor didn't fit. Timothy had ulcers. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. Jacob was a liar. David had an affair. Solomon was too rich. Jesus was too poor. Peter was afraid. Paul was a murderer. So was Moses. Jonah ran from God. Miriam was a gossip. Gideon and Thomas doubted. Jeremiah was depressed. Elijah was burnt out. Martha was a worried wart. Noah got drunk. Moses had a short fuse. So did Peter. So did Paul. And so do many of you here today, probably. Because I know I do at times. And if God can take a group of people that have their quirks and still use them, how much more can he use us in the kingdom of God? The Bible says that we are to be the salt of the earth, and that we should be careful to keep our flavor. Uh, how many of you <clears throat> ever do this? You go to a restaurant or e even at home, home-cooked meal, whatever it is, food's placed in front of you, okay? And the first thing you do is grab the salt. You haven't even tried the food. You don't know if it's salty or unsalty. You just grab the salt because this is how we roll. And you put it all over there. And if it's your wife that cooked the meal, she probably looks at you and goes, are you even going to try it, you know? But you put salt because you love salt. Why? Because salt brings out this flavor. It, it intensifies the experience. Now, too much salt can ruin it, right? But the Bible tells us that you and I as Christians are to be the salt of the world. Now, Christians might not be the majority, but we have the most influence, we might not be the, 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 the majority in this world and earth, but we have the greatest influence because of God who's within us. And, and he says, you're to be the salt of the world. It's like when you take a little pinch of salt and you put it on some, uh, on some turkey or something that you're eating and it brings out the flavor or it, it brings forth something that, that, that wasn't there before. You know, so many of us, uh, it, it might not be the majority, but we can, we, we can have a tremendous influence as Christians and that's why the devil wants to take it away from us as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Because God sees how valuable we are. We, he, we are so valuable that he sent his son to die on a cross. Now, I know that I can say that and you hear it in church and we'll all agree with that. But really think about it. Would you send your son? 
But, you know, I mean, this is a real thing. He sent his son to die for you and me that might turn our back on him. And he says, but there's such great value and potential that it is worth it. And the devil says, okay, because of salvation, I might not be able to take that away from them. But what I want to do is I want to take away then their influence. I want to take away their influence. Did you know that that's actually a job description right now for some people on social media? They're called influencers. And what they do is they sit around and they take their phones or whatever it is and they do a video and people watch them. They get paid for it and you ask them what they are. Oh, I'm an influencer. You know, we, we, we understand how to do that when, when it's what we want. But did you know that you and I, as sons and daughters of God, have the greatest influence of all? But yet, what are, what are we doing with it? He said, there's so much potential that's there. And we must remember that no matter how bad the circumstances get, there is always hope. There's always hope. If you're here today and you feel like you're in a hopeless situation, I'm trying to get fill in the blank with whatever it is you want. And there's nothing wrong with whatever it is you want, but it seems like it isn't happening and you feel like you're losing hope. You always have hope. Nothing takes God by surprise. Did you know that? Nothing happens where he goes, oh, whoa, I didn't expect that. I didn't see that coming. That's, that's not part of his vocabulary. God gave us, you and I, all the potential that we need to be who we were, uh, who we were created to be. And our potential is there. And it's a treasure that we have to discover. God has saved us. But he says, I've put potential in your heart and in your life. But you, each one of you, myself, we have to be willing to go on a treasure hunt. We have to be willing to go find this, this great uh, value and potential that's inside of us and unearth that. It's like, it's like if you ever watched the movie The Goonies, okay? You're going to go on a trip and you're going to go find some treasure. Now, anybody here like to treasure hunt? You might say, no, pastor, I'm not a pirate. I don't have a ship. I don't say R, you know, that's not me. But I would beg to differ. I think each and every one of us are treasure hunters to some degree. How many of you like to go to the clearance rack and find the best deal? Treasure hunter. How many of you guys like to go to the garage sales and see one, one man's junk become your treasure, <laughs> right? Uh, how many of you like to go on eBay and snipe other people and, and get the best buy? Treasure hunting. How many of you go on Amazon and look for the best deal? Prime days, oh my gosh. Treasure hunting. We do it all the time. All he's saying is, is when it comes to what's on the inside, do the same thing. Go on a treasure hunt and be willing to, to let him lead you to that place where you discover not only how value, valuable you are, but all of the potential that's inside of you because each and every one of us are going to go through seasons. How many of you know that seasons change? Well, we get that here in Iowa. It's already starting to change. It went from God's favorite season, summer. Okay, maybe that's Jim's. I don't know. Uh, moving into fall, winter's around the corner. Things change, and we adapt to the environment. We adapt to the season that changes. But when it comes to our life, I don't know about you. Sometimes I struggle changing when seasons change. It's like God shifted gears and didn't ask my permission, right? It's like things all of a sudden change and now things are either not happening the way I want them to or they're, they're happening, but they're happening for other people and not me. And I struggle with that when seasons change and I don't know what to do with this sometimes. And that's when he says, that's when you come and you, you trust me because seasons will change. And what he is trying to get you to see in the midst of a change is that there is treasure there. But all the time, 
Almost all the time, when change happens, we resist it. We don't like it. We fight it. Anybody here love change? Well, we probably all say, yeah, when it happens to everybody else, but not when it happens to me. I can speak for myself that there's seasons the Lord has led me through and things changed. And I said, I didn't sign up for this, or I didn't think this is how it was going to work out, or this is, I, I, I didn't think it was going to go this way. I've got two options at that point. I can have a pity party, or I can lean into God and say, I, I, I need you to show me, Jesus. I need, I need you more now than ever. I need you to show me what potential is there, what, what, what new thing it is you're bringing into my life. So we have all the hope and all the potential that we need. We just have to tap into it. So that's good news for you and me today, because we can leave here today, Church of the Open Door, go back out into our homes and communities, knowing that God has a plan for our life. But the question is, is are we going to live up to that potential? Are we going to live up to that plan that he has in our lives? And you might say, well, I just don't know how to do that. Well, he's given us a manual, okay? Anytime you buy something, when somebody creates something, let's say it's, I use cars or trucks all the time, but when they, when they make those vehicles, for example, you go buy a new vehicle from a dealership, guess what you're going to find in the glove box? An owner's manual, right? But how many of you have ever sat down and read the whole owner's manual? Anybody? The whole thing? Nobody's really keen on that. They like, it's like 675 pages and, you know, but we will pull it open when we're in trouble, right? Sometimes, maybe, you know, the bulb isn't working or I'm having a problem with the end. What, what do you do? And you go to the back and you look for the quickest route and try to find the answer. There's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes we do the same thing with the Word of God. God's given us the owner's manual. And he said, this is how life works. And if you want to discover your potential and your value, if you want to know how to swing out of the sweet spot of your life, Go back to the owner's manual, the Word of God, the Bible, and it will show you what you need to know so that you can discover that. But many times, we don't want to read the manual. And I'm not saying that you need to go home today and read the whole Bible to make God happy. I am encouraging you to get into the Word of God. I am encouraging you to read your Bible. I'm really encouraging to allow the Word of God to read you. But just doing it as a task doesn't impress God. He wants to download into your very spirit an understanding of how valuable you are and how much potential that you have. God knows there's more inside of you. He created us, so he knows how this works. He knows because he put it there. And the Bible says this in Jeremiah 29, 11, very familiar portion of scripture. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans not for your calamity, but for your welfare, so that you may have a future and a what? Hope. He created us to have hope. So if you're here today and you're feeling hopeless, that doesn't mean that God's mad at you. It doesn't mean that God's like turned his back on you. It doesn't mean that God's disappointed with you. It means you're probably going through a season of change or you're going through a just, it's a difficult time. But he says, but I created you to have a future and a hope. I create, you're valuable and I put so much potential. Yes, I know it's difficult right now, but I'm wanting to know if God were speaking to you, are you going to place your faith in me? Or are you going to place your faith in yourself or your spouse or your family or this world? He wants to know where we're going to place our faith. God was saying that he knows that there's potential inside of us and he's factored in all the circumstances of the world. He, he, he knew your mortgage was going to come due. He knew that you were going to get in an argument. He knew that your kids were going to, you know, like 
you know, heads will spin and vomit pea soup or whatever. You know, he knew that all of these weird things would happen. He took it all up and he said, here's my grace that's sufficient for all things. I give you a future and I, I, I give you a hope. The Bible says that his works were finished before the world even began. How can that be? Well, it's like an auto show if you've ever gone or if you go, go to a car dealer. Uh, apparently, I'm on a car illustration kick today. So uh, go, you, go, you go to one of the local, let's say, uh, auto dealers, and you look there, and they're going to have cars that are on the showroom floor. How did they get there? They ended up there. They actually, though, began in the mind of the engineer, and the creator had to then sketch something down. And then they had to come up with a plan and put it together in a factory before all of a sudden it ended, it ended up in the showroom. You look at it and say, new truck or new car or new whatever it is. But what you don't know or you don't think about is all the stuff that took place before it got there. God says, when I created you back here, he said, I understood all the things that were going to have to take place. And I gave you a grace that's sufficient for all things. He's our creator. And he also, though, gave us a, a choice. Um, God gives us a choice. Many times people want to know, why doesn't God just do it for me? You know? Uh, God gives us a choice. We could, here, here's the choice. We can squander what God gave us, or we could lean into God and say, what do you have to say? The potential is ready to, uh, the, that potential is ready to break out, even if we don't know what our final destination is. We might not know exactly what the next step is, but that potential can still be with inside of you. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says, He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. God put potential in your heart, in my heart, almost as if it was like in powder form. He said, it's become a part of who you are, though you may not recognize it all the time. Hope is a part of who you are, and I've put it inside of you so that you can be all that I've created you to be, not somebody else, you. But we play the imagination game, don't we? I mean, we can try it right now. What would life be like if I was a professional athlete? I'd have all the money in the world. I wouldn't have to worry. People would look at me and go, ooh, can I have your autograph? And then I'd come back to reality, right? I could say, well, what if I was a politician and I could chase after that and go after that dream? What if I was an American Idol finalist? And that'd be so awesome because people would just love me. Here's a great one. Oh, man, if I could only be a Dallas Cowboy fan, that would be awesome. Right, 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 right? Come on, come on. Anybody? No takers? Okay, I, I gave it a shot. You can imagine and you can daydream and you can think all you like, but here's the thing. There is potential inside of you to fulfill those dreams but only the potential is inside of you to fulfill the dream that God has put in you. Um, life has a catch, and that's this. You can't be somebody else. You can't. you got to be you. Too many times we live our life comparing ourselves to others, wishing we were them, not knowing that they were wishing they were someone else. And it's a vicious cycle. But God says, I've created something special for you. Playwright uh, George Bernard Shaw once was asked, what he wished he could become. Here's his reply. He said, I would, be the man that I would be the man George Bernard Shaw could have been, but never was. Shaw was saying that we could have done more with our lives um, by being ourselves, not by being somebody else. Another guy by the name of Robert Browning said, all of the sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest words might be these. 
might have been. Might have been. So do not squander the God potential in your life, he says. Our God-given potential is limitless, but we've got to be careful. We've got to be wary because the enemy roams about like a lion, right? Seeking whom he may devour. He cannot take away your salvation because he knows that that's been secured on the cross tree of Calvary. But what he will try to do is try to steal your potential, try to keep you from dreaming, try to get you from experiencing any kind of hope in your life because then you may be a Christian, but you're going to be a fruitless or ineffective Christian because you don't see the potential that God and even others sometimes see in your in your life. So what do we have to do? Well, you always got to keep in mind this. Number one, write this down. What you are is a gift from God. And what you make of yourself is a gift to God. Say it one more time. What you are is a gift from God. He's given you this life to live. But what you do with it, what you make of yourself is your gift back to God. It's discovering that potential. You have a great God-given potential inside of you. You may not know where you're going. You may not know how it's all going to play out, but God, through his Holy Spirit, will guide you. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21, it says this, your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right or to the left. And what he's saying is simply this. He said, the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you. The Holy Spirit will speak to you. Hey, go left. Hey, go right. No, don't do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, go do that. He'll, he'll let you know what it is that you need to do so that you can stay on the right path. It's kind of like rumble strips on a highway, right? You ever see those? Anybody bold enough to say, yeah, I've run over them a few times, right? You know, they put them on the sides of the road, so if you get not paying attention, you're texting, you're changing the radio, you're beating a kid in the backseat, I don't know, whatever, and you stray, all of a sudden, brrr, you hit that, and it's telling you, get back on the road. Because if you don't, destruction will come. Now they also put them in the center lane so that you don't cross into oncoming traffic. This verse is saying the Holy Spirit will be a rumble strip. So as you're going through life, because life, the Christian life is not about perfection. Amen? Okay, I I just want to throw that out there because I want you to know he's not looking for perfect people. He's looking to perfect a a procession. It's a work in progress kind of a thing. And he says the Holy Spirit, as you're going through life, it's going, to do, it's going to do this a little bit, but when you start going way off here, the Holy Spirit will say, hey, he's done it to me many times. Jim, get back over there. <laughs> Put that down. Don't watch that. You know, change your attitude. Things like that. Now, I've got a choice. I can listen to the voice of God, which helps me stay on the path, or I can ignore it, which I did for many years of my life. You all have heard stories of uh, you know, of my past, but, but from the ages of 16 through about 23, I lived for me. I ran hard. I ran fast away from anything that had to do with God. I, I didn't care about church. Not, you know what I mean? I, I, I cared like, you know, I know it's good. I know it's important. I just, I'm not interested. And I, I, I just deviated completely in my walk with Christ. Here's the problem with that. You might say, well, at least you can get your way back, right? You can. But usually when you go way off here, there's a lot of consequences that come when you deviate from the, pla- the path of God. And that's what I ran into. Now, when I talk to people and they say, well, why can't I do this? I say, you can, but here's what I experienced. It's kind of like if I were walking through the yard and you stepped in something you didn't want to, you know what I'm talking about? You know, person behind me, I can either tell them don't step there or I can be a jerk and just let them step in it, one of the two. But you see, you don't want to deviate from the path of God. 
How can I know? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will speak to you. See, there's a dream inside of you. Don't let past failures, don't let past events steal your future any longer. Any longer. I'm 52 years old right now. I know I look like I'm 28 though, right? Mm, Come on, make me feel good. Uh, But I look at my life now and I go, I'm 52. Chances are I'm not going to live another 52. I'm just being real, uh, realistic about it. That's just chances. And in my mind, like a typical 50-year-old will do or should do or could do is they go, how do I want to spend my remaining years? How do I want to, to use my remaining time that God has given me? You know what I'm doing? I'm going on a treasure hunt when I ask those questions. I'm asking God, what do you, what, what's, what's next? I want to swing out of the sweet spot of my life. And I would think because I'm asking such a good question, God would be brimming, waiting to give me the answer. And he is, but it's always in his timing. That's what's most important. It's always in his timing. And the enemy is going to do everything he can to try to steal that potential. And you and I have to make a decision not to let that happen. Let the Holy Spirit guide you so you don't deviate from the path that God has for you. The devil, he hates you. He hates me. He knows that he can't take away our salvation. So he's going to try to take away the potential. He's going to try to take away the future. Satan will tell you that your accomplishes, uh, accomplishments don't mean anything. You're never going to have enough money. No one's ever going to like you. You're never going to be able to have that family. You're never going to be able to, to get that house. Whatever it is, fill in the blank. The enemy will keep telling you that. And you might say, well, we, we know the why because he comes to steal, kill, destroy. That's his job description. But, but how does this happen? Think of it this way. Let's say you take your family, you've got some kids, you go to the state fair, and let's say that your parents give you 40 bucks to spend at the fair. Now, depending on your age, you might go, 40 bucks, that's a lot of money. But, you know, maybe in today's world, they're like, only 40? Give me 80, you know. And, uh, but for this illustration, 40 bucks. And you say, this is it, 40 bucks right there. This is for the whole day. Make it last. But then all of a sudden, you go walking around and you come across one of your kids 45 minutes later. They have no money they're hungry, their hands are full of prizes and toys because they decided to go out and squander all the money that they had. And you would say, what, what, what happened? You know, you don't want your kid to go hungry, but I gave you money. I said, make it last. What did you do? I just played a few games. I just rode a few rides. I, I, I only ate 16 sticks of cotton candy, you know, and now they're all in this sugar high, getting ready to crash. God has given you and I 40 bucks, potential. And he said, use that wisely. Go on a treasure hunt and discover the value so that you don't have to give in to the distractions of the world just to get the the high or the sugar rush. You know what I'm talking about? He says, let it be something that you discover so that you can see all the potential that God has for you. Because here's the next bullet in your outline. Because the greatest enemy of our soul is not destruction, it's distraction. That's the greatest enemy. Obviously, yes, Satan, he's our greatest enemy. But one of the best tools, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Destroys right there in the job description. How's he going to do it? He's going to go to his toolbox, and he's going to pull out one of his tools that he uses a lot called distraction. He'll try to get you and me to look in different uh, places. He'll say, hey, you know, go over here. You can have that kind of relationship. The world's got so much to offer. You want it now? You can have it now. He'll try to distract us so that it robs us of our potential. But God builds a roadway for us to all sorts of treasures and potential, but we have to be willing to stay on that road. Uh, 
There is influence on the pathway to Christ. There is joy on the pathway to Christ. There is abundance on the pathway to Christ. But as we go along the roadway, a lot of times we can get easily distracted by the things that take us off of that road. Uh, We can get distracted by sex, money, drugs. You might be like, whoa, pastor, you're swinging a big bat there. I'm not into drugs and I'm not into all that kind of stuff. Okay, well, it can be as simple too as is gossiping, attitude. Uh, You can fill in the blank. All of those are just tools to distract us from our God-given potential. The hope is, is that we always find our way back to God. But as you can see, if we had simply stayed on the path and followed God, we would have gotten much further and we've gotten much more out of God's plan if we wouldn't have allowed ourselves to become distracted. So what does, this, what does a distraction do? That next bullet in your outline, it steals potential of a God-preferred future. That's all it does. Those distractions, they just rip you off. That's all they're designed to do. That's all they want to do. So why doesn't God just simply remove the distractions? I mean, he's God. He can do anything he wants. I've had this question asked to me a lot, especially lately, and it's this. If God's good and God's there and he knows this stuff, if if he knows this thing's going to distract me, why doesn't he just get rid of that distraction so that I can just go on with my life? To which I have to be, you know, you don't just, you got to be careful how you respond. So I just say, huh. So what you're telling me is you're struggling to believe God because of a bad choice you made. Yeah. Why didn't he just remove the potential for me to make that bad choice? And I'll say, okay, well, here's the thing. God doesn't want to isolate us. He wants relationship with us. He doesn't want robots. He wants relationship. Let me bring it home. How many of you can tell the difference as husband and wife, y'all that are married, if your, if your husband or wife comes in and they say one of two ways, here it is, they come in and they go, love you. Or if they come in and they go, I love you so much. You know, difference, right? My wife walks in and she says, oh, Jim, I love you so much. Your muscles are so strong. You're so good looking. I mean, my, my head's going to swell. I'm going to be like, that's right. You know, but if she just kind of walks through the room and goes, I love you. If it ever changes, I'll let you know. Can you see the difference? Now, you're like, you know, well, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. Anybody can see that. It's the same thing with with a relationship with God. He says, I don't want to control you. I I don't want to be a puppet master, and you all are like doing everything I say. And he says, I want you to want me. I just went Beatles there on you, I think. (laughs) I want you to want me in your life. I want a relationship with you so that you will want me more than you will want the distraction. That's what he wants. That's what relationship is. And he says, and so in order to get there, he says, you need a new beginning again and again and again. When you come to Jesus, the Bible says the old has passed away. Everything becomes brand spanking new, right? The Bible says that when you come to Jesus, the old has passed away. Can we agree on that? Everything else is brand new, folks. Sometimes we don't believe that the old has passed away. We, we, we cling it. We, we got some junk in our trunk, so we got a U-Haul back there. We're, we're, we're you know, pulling some of this garbage with us. And he says, no. He says, you need a new beginning. And as a Christian, you will find time and time again that you'll discover some stuff that's distracting you. And he says, it's another beginning. You need another new beginning. I've had so many new beginnings in my lifetime already. I'm like, Jesus, why haven't you given up on me already? I'm, I, you know, how, how can you love me so much? That's the grace of God. 
That's how much, that's how valuable you are to him. He says that you need these new beginnings. As a matter of fact, number two, write that down. In order to be all that we can be, it will require new beginnings. Acts chapter 3, verse 19 says, Repent and return in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Anybody here could use some refreshing today? Anybody here could use refreshing from this last week, this last year, this last decade, whatever you want to fill in there? He says, well, then you got to do two things. There's two necessary actions. He says, repent and return. Repent and return. If you're doing something, you're like, well, I thought if I, if I repented, I don't have to repent anymore. No, I, I'm repenting all the time because the Lord reveals things to me if my thought process is wrong or, or, or if I've said something that's it's been mean or hurtful or, or, you know, I don't know, fill in the blank. There can be so many different things. But when the Holy Spirit brings that to my attention, I have to go, oh, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I repent. In return where? Return back into the presence of God. Not into the distractions of the world, but into the presence of God. If you want to be refreshed this morning, if you want to be refreshed for this, this year, for this life, then repent and return. But God's word is clear. The refreshing comes after we repent and return. Well, why would it have to be after? Because if he refreshed me before I repented and returned, I would never repent and return. But when I do that, then the refreshing comes. Don't get so caught up is what he's saying by that. And all the religion or the holier than thou kind of thoughts. You know, don't, don't walk around like you haven't sinned in your life ever because we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He says, don't, don't feel like you've got to walk around like you never make mistakes. He said, instead, just be quick to repent and return. That's all you have to do. That's it. Repent and return. Repent means to turn things around. It means to turn. It means I'm going this way and I'm now turning the opposite way and I'm, gonna, I'm choosing to go this direction. I'm making a change in my life. And he says, return into the presence of God. The devil cannot stop you from being saved, but he can stop or he can try to stop your, your influence, your reach, the, discovering the potential in your life. So the sooner you stop and repent and return, the better it will be for you and the better it will be for the people around you. The sooner you do that, the sooner you'll have a new beginning. Let me take you, uh, Proverbs 17, 14 says, the beginning of strife is like letting out water. So abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. In other words, stop yourself before you go too far off the path. You'll be better, others will be better. The Bible talks about, I said I was going to mention the prodigal son. And I'm not going to go through the whole story, but there was a father who had two sons. One of them said, Father, I want my inheritance, give me the money. The father gave it, he took off. The other son stayed home. This story, when we preach on it, I'm going to talk about this sometime at the beginning of next year. But uh, there, it's, a, it's an incredible story. This is my first message I ever preached was uh, Luke 15 from the prodigal son. You want to know why? Because I was the prodigal son. I understood that story. And, but I also understood the grace that God gave me in that. But here you've got this story, this prodigal uh, son, it's about a father and a, and a wayward son and another son who remained home and did all the right things, but had the wrong motive in his heart. We'll get into that later. But I just want to focus on the prodigal son who took off. It says he took off and he squandered everything. He went to Vegas and he had a party and he started living a high life and he brought all his friends around and he gambled and he partook in all the other stuff you probably shouldn't partake in. And before you know it, he had no more money. He had nothing. Guess what happens when you have no money? All your friends, they disappear. 
They're gone. They're off to the next one. He was left alone. He had to get a job. He was slopping the pigs. We, we, we know what that's like here in Iowa, right? You know, it's not a very pleasant job. It doesn't smell very good. You get a little dirty. And it says that while he was feeding the pigs, he desired to eat what they were eating because he didn't have very much. Take a look at the verse. It says uh, in Luke chapter 15, and he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. But then um, seven important words. Here it is. But when he came to his senses, say that with me. But when he came to his senses, he had an aha moment. Ah, I cannot believe I blew this so bad. He completely veered off the plan off the, that, that the father had for his life. And he says, I know what I will do. I'll, I'll get up and I will go to my father and I'll say to my father, Father, I've sinned. He had the speech all laid out. Um, but you see, nothing changed till he came to his senses. Nothing changes for you and me until we come to our senses. Let the Holy Spirit speak to us and then act upon what the Holy Spirit says. Otherwise, we end up like the prodigal. We're hanging around, we have no money, nowhere to go, and we're craving things that were never designed for us to eat, like pig slop. But yet that's where he was. The prodigal son had left his family, God's path. He let things become so bad for himself that he longed to eat the pig food. In other words, he's saying, don't wait too long before you repent. So when's the best time for me to repent? That little bullet I put in there? The best time before you reach the pigs. <clears throat> You'll find your time. You'll find at times this. I, 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 I'm thinking real quick. Can I say this? I, 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 <laughs> you will find at times that you will start to stray from the path. That's a part of life. But whether you choose to get off it or not is going to be up to you. That's a, that's a different thing. You know, there's times where I, I do this and the Lord goes, eh, get back over here. Get back over here. But like when I was younger, I completely said, sayonara, and I took off. See, there's a difference between the two. You're going to have times where you will still struggle. You'll have times when you waver and all of that. But you'll know, you'll know when you're hanging out with the pigs, right? <clears throat> you, you, you will know. I had a friend of mine, his name's Dave. He worked on a pig farm, and we'd hang out on the weekends. And every time he'd come over, man, God Almighty, he, he, he stunk. And I said, dude, did you take a shower? And he's like, I just got done taking a shower. His hands smelled like pig, you know. Everything. He goes, you can't get that smell off, right? If anybody has worked with farm animals, which I try to avoid, <laughs> and that smell was just there. You know when you're in the pig pen. The best time to repent is before you ever get there. Don't let it get so bad. Repent before you have your eighth marriage or your, your tenth arrest or your, your twelfth fight or something like that. Repent. Get back on that path. If you go all the way to the pigs, you will usually have to pay a very heavy price or consequence. But you can avoid all of that just simply by re repenting and returning. Some of you may be here today, <clears throat> have been there. You've been in that place where you've just been distant from God. All he's, he, he's always calling you back. Just like in the prodigal son. He went back to his father, and, and it, it, when you read the parable, it says that while he was still a great distance off, the father saw the son, which means he was always out there looking for him. He never gave up hope on him. God never gives up hope on you and on me. But he says this, and this is number three in your outlines. The new beginnings that you have, um, they must start today. They must start today. Now, you might be going, okay, what's so special about October 9th, 
Sunday morning, that it has to be today. What I mean by today is this. You've got to have your moment when you say, today is the day. Today is the day. I've had, I've had moments where God has told me, corrected me, uh, spoke to me, and I went, yeah, you're right. Just telling God he's right doesn't do, not, it doesn't do anything, okay? That doesn't change anything. Yeah, God, you're right. Amen. Yeah, I agree. You know, you can, say, you can say all of that, but that didn't change a thing. I needed that new beginning, and that new beginning had to start today. Why not let today be your day today? You know, maybe, maybe what is today? It's when you come to the knowledge of you go, this needs to change. I need to, I need to, I need to shift right here. And you know you're all in. That's your today moment. 2 Corinthians 6 2 says, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Maybe today, whatever it is where you've been struggling or off the path, today is your now day. It's your now moment. We all need new beginnings again and again to get us back on the path. I'll close with this and we'll be done. <clears throat> I, I don't remember exactly where I was, but I, I, I was in California somewhere. <clears throat> I don't like to travel very much. I mean, I will, uh, but I'd rather stay at home and chill out. That's, that's, that's my, I relax there. I love to do that. And, but we had a meeting. Uh, I went by myself this time. And I ended up in California. I was driving from the airport to the location I was trying to get to. But I was lost. How many of you know 11 o'clock, 11.30 at night in California is not very good? Depending on where you're at, right? And I don't know the neighborhoods. I don't know where I'm at. So I'm just this poor little boy from Iowa. And I'm like, I've watched a lot of TV. I know bad things can happen out here, right? <clears throat> what do I do? Where do I go? I'm lost. So I go into this, I don't know, some kind of quickie mart or something like that. And uh, I asked the guy, hey, I'm trying to get here. How do I get there? And I got the most confusing directions I've ever had in my life. He says, well, here's what you want to do. You want to go, when you leave here, take a left. You're going to go down to the next light, and then you take a right. After you take the right, you're going to go, I don't know, mile, mile and a half, maybe two. There's going to be a road that splits into a Y. You want to make sure to go to the right side of the Y. Don't go to the left. Make sure you go to the, is it the left or the right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the right. And he says, when you get to the end of that road, it's going to loop you back around. There's going to be a freeway that'll get... By the time he got to the loop, I'm like, I'm done. I'm out. You know, I can't remember all this. I'm so completely lost. I don't know where I'm going. And I was frustrated, but I just went, thank you. I don't know, my body language, whatever it was. There happened to be another guy in there. And as I walked out, I'm just like, Jesus. You know, we didn't have cell phones with GPS at that time. Jesus was my GPS kind of a thing, you know, along with a Rand McNally map. <laughs> And I got in the car, I was heading to the car, and this guy comes out and he goes, excuse me, sir. He goes, where are you going? And I said, I don't really know. <laughs> I don't even know where I'm at. And he said, well, he goes, I, I couldn't help but overhear you. And the directions he was given, that was a lot of directions. He goes, but it sounded like the neighborhood I live in. And I'm like, really? Now I've got another problem. Can I trust this guy? <laughs> right? But he said, no. He said, <clears throat> let, let me see where you're heading. And I gave him the address. He looked at me and he says, yeah. He goes, that's just a, a few blocks from me. He goes, if you want, he says, I'll lead you there. He said, California's overwhelming. He goes, where are you from? I said, Iowa. He goes, oh, Lord, how'd you end up in California? You know. And I said, I don't know where I'm at. And he goes, follow me. I'll lead the way. I'll get you where you need to be. I trusted the guy. I followed him. Ten minutes later, I was where I needed to be. What's my point? In life, you have so much value and so much potential. But for some of you today, you need to go on a treasure hunt. 
you know, the treasures you've discovered have been good so far, but he's got some great stuff in there. I'm talking Tony the Tiger great, okay? It's great. But sometimes we get to the good and we go, oh, I'll settle here. This is more than I ever hoped for in my life, so if I can just stay here, I'll be good. But God says, don't stop there. Let there be a new beginning. There's more value that I've got in your life. There's so much more potential and things that I want for you to accomplish. Now, obviously, you and I have a choice. We don't have to. But God says, there's so much more I want you to discover. And if you get into that place where you say, oh, I don't know how God could use me. Oh, I didn't know how God could use me either, but he still chooses to. I can only do one of two things. Believe God's a liar, or I can believe God's word is true. And that I am valuable. That you are valuable. And that he has so many more treasures to unearth in your life. But you have to be willing to take that step. Let God lead you. And just like this gentleman did for me, a very frustrating trip to a, an environment you don't know in a potentially dangerous place became a 10-minute comfortable ride to a safe place. Will you pray with me? Father, I ask today that, Lord, this today would be a day of discovering some new treasure inside of us. We've got so much inside of us that we're not aware of. I, I know that we think we know it all. I know that we think we know what's best, but Lord, forgive us when we do that because you know exactly what it is. You wired us. You're, you're our creator. And Lord, we thank you for coming and saving us. But now we're asking today that you will come and you will help us discover, reveal to us the great treasure that's hidden within our own hearts. May we never get comfortable. May we never stop and just say, this is good enough. I just want to remain here because we're afraid we're going to lose something. But Lord, help us to become our own Indiana Jones, ready to go on an adventure and take on new things because there's something you want to unearth in our lives. And so Jesus, we trust you today. Forgive us. We repent repent for the times we've just shut you down and shut you out. Lord, please forgive us. And we want to experience all the new things that you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen, church.